Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another Relic Reveal video. We are down to three more Relics, but only two more Saints. Ooh. So this week, we are talking about another ancient Christian witness to the glory of the gospel. Who are we talking about? An apostle. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We got another apostle. We talked about Simon. We talked about Jude. Now, Thomas, the legendary, the infamous Doubting Thomas. We're going to talk about him right now. There's not really much to talk about. No, I'm just <laughs> nothing is known about Thomas's early life. The best biblical scholars can give us is that he was born of a Jewish family in Galilee. Here's an interesting side note. All of the apostles are Galileans except for Judas. <gasps> At some point, Thomas, a disciple of Jesus, becomes one of the elite 12 and apostle. And it's very important because Jesus was establishing the kingdom of heaven, not just being the kingdom of David rebooted, but something greater, a bigger fulfillment. But to do that, he enacts the 12 apostles as a new 12 tribes of Israel. So Thomas is one of these key central people. Now, Thomas is mentioned in all four of the gospels and in Acts of the Apostles, but here's the interesting thing. He only has speaking lines, right? He only has speaking lines in John's gospel. I'm sure they don't call him speaking lines because he's not an actor on a stage. And cut, you're out of here, Thomas. But one of the things about Thomas is those three lines that he has in John's gospel are pretty powerful. And so what we want to do is just kind of walk you through those three lines and their significance around the Paschal mystery, what Christ accomplished for us. So in the first passage that we have from Thomas, I love the stories. In John chapter 11, it's the story of the raising of Lazarus. So I've talked about before how Jesus was utterly unique from all the rabbis in that he didn't just have people that followed, just men that followed him. He had women do as disciples, which was unheard of. But he also had people who were stationed at different cities around Judea, Palestine, and all that stuff that he would go to regularly. And one of those uh, communities of disciples was around the family of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. But they were in a suburb of Jerusalem called Bethany, which is about a day or two's walk from the city of Jerusalem. And at that time, opposition from the Jewish leaders was huge against Jesus. John's gospel, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, gives us the story of Jesus and his ministry of being over three years punctuated by these three major trips for Passover down in the Judea area, especially the city of Jerusalem. In these several journeys down to Jerusalem, Jesus begins to build a large opposition to his ministry. In fact, at one point, they want to stone him. His reputation had spread. They didn't like him. The powers that be were in complete opposition to him. They wanted to destroy not just his reputation, but his influence and his person, right? And they knew this. The apostles knew this. So the idea of going down to Bethany was almost a death sentence, which is very ironic considering that he would you know, raise Lazarus from the dead. So as one does, a debate kind of broke out among the apostles because they were nervous to go down into Bethany. They didn't want to go understandably. So Jesus says, Lazarus is not dead, but asleep. And they're like, oh, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. He'll be fine. And he's like, no, you, he's dead. Okay. He's dead. And we must go to him. And then you have the first phrase of Thomas where he says, let us also go and die with him. These are powerful words, right? Because it kind of shows uh, a unique uh, courage that some of the apostles didn't have pre-Pentecost, right? Usually they're all like, I don't want to do anything. I'm scared, right? So here was one of these remarkable instances of apostolic courage. 
Let us go down and die with him also. And so this whole notion of the ministry of Jesus shifting down to Judea would become incredibly important because the next time Thomas speaks is the third trip down to Jerusalem when they're at the Last Supper. Now you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke giving us the in-depth story of the institution of the Eucharist and the Last Supper. John presupposes you know that, so he gives us the wider story. So now we're at the Last Supper, and Jesus is communicating to his apostles what's going to happen next. And he's telling them, I'm going to go away from you, but don't worry, you know the way. And again, an overly literalistic interpretation, just like, oh, he's asleep, then let's not worry about him. Jesus is like, oh, are you kidding me? So here we have Thomas with an overly literalistic interpretation. He says, Lord, how, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Because he's thinking about earthly travel, like Jesus is going to go hide out in like Athens or something. No, that's not what's happening. So Jesus then says to Thomas the great line that we all know and love, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can you imagine? I always tell people we miss these divine sayings of Jesus I am, you imagine, Jay, if I said that to you, you were like, hey, Gorman, let's talk about the Bible. And I'm like, Jay, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You should just moonwalk out of the room, get the heck out of Dodge, right? But Jesus can say this because he wasn't just a man, wasn't just a teacher, wasn't even just a prophet. No prophet would have said what Jesus said. What was he? He was the eternal son of God made man. And that's why he could say these things. So now he begins to tell them the resurrection, the crucifixion, all that's going to happen. Right? And the apostles staked their entire lives on Jesus being the Messiah. And they thought he would march into Jerusalem, conquer Jerusalem, and that's what Palm Sunday was kind of all about. Conquer, here comes the king riding on a colt, right? He is going to enter triumphantly, and instead of mounting a throne, they pinned him to a cross. Instead of giving him a crown, they placed thorns upon his head, and they clothed them in a purple rag, and they mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And this is the dramatic turn, because they all longed for Jesus Christ to be the messianic king to be the ruler that would conquer, to give freedom to Israel so that they could worship God without fear, but ultimately to subject all the nations to the son of David. But what happens? This subjugation of all the nations to the son of David would be through faith, not force. And then the death occurs. Now you can imagine, you followed this guy for like three years. Your whole life, your whole worldview is placed on this man being who he claims to be. And there, the leaders... The Roman foreign powers, everyone conspires to destroy him. I don't think we give the doubt of the doubting Thomas that much credit, but we should. Thomas watched his dreams, his, we'll even say it, his career, his hopes, his aspirations, everything, his entire worldview die on Good Friday. And he wasn't there for Easter Sunday. Right? So when he comes back into the upper room where they had just witnessed the resurrection, I think we can give him a little bit of grace by his frustrated, even angry understanding. The way he responds to them is epic. Until I see the nail marks in his hands and press my finger into those marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, that's the reality. See, when we have beliefs, beliefs can actually screen the truth away from us. And all of the apostles until Easter Sunday believed that Jesus was dead. Even when the women came and told them, no, he's risen, they believed, they refused to listen to the credibility of Mary and all the other holy women that were at the tomb. And so this is what it did for him. He watched his Messiah die brutally. And then 
One week later, Jesus appears. Not, I love how Jay put it in the, in the bio. You got to read the bio. It's awesome. Not as a thunderclap, not shaking the place, not with fire and all this stuff, which is how I would enter the room if I were the son of God. Every time, fire, right? He enters and says, peace be with you. And then Thomas sees him and cries out the last phrase we get from him. My Lord and my God. And I love the next move of Jesus. He goes up to Thomas and I can kind of, I bet you Jesus had a smirk on his face. I bet you he's like, oh yeah, no, we're doing this. We're doing this. I heard you say it last week. We're doing this. And he takes his finger and presses it into the wounds and takes his hand and puts it into the side wound. And then Thomas, right? You can imagine putting his fingers and his hand into his side, right? Why, why do we do this? Why, why is this story? To show that it's the same body, but it's not gushing, pussy, gross wounds. It's the same, but glorified body, right? So it's not the same body, uh, you know, just resuscitated like it would be for me if there was like, clear, right? Now, that's not the same body. We are talking, his body has now been glorified. The same body that was crucified has now risen from the grave. And here, Thomas, right? He says the words that you and I should say every time the Eucharist is elevated at mass, my Lord and my God. Think of the power of those words. That confession of faith rivals only someone like Peter, who in Matthew 16 says, we, we are convinced that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You have Thomas, the doubting Thomas, giving us the highest form of praise, right? You are my Lord and my God. Incredible words. Now, what happens afterwards? Well, we know the story. The Christianity was a world religion before the end of the first century. It spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. It went far and wide. Now, we can't really historically verify exactly where Thomas went. There's a handful of traditions. My favorite tradition, of course, is that he went to India and he was martyred by the prince there and the, and the, priests, of, uh, the priests of Kali and all of this stuff, and that he was killed with a spear. The spear wound in the sight of Christ was what it took for Thomas to believe. And at the end of his life, it would be the spear that would let Thomas give his greatest testimony to Christ. How incredible is that? But we don't really know. We don't have 100% knowledge. But we do know because we have had many associate pastors who have come from the Cyril Malabar Church, including our own Father Matthew. And they are Thomas Christians, as they are known as, because the, the legend has it that he made it all the way to India preaching the gospel, which is, it, it can be true. But we just don't have 100% historical knowledge. But either way, Thomas, one of the 12, one of the ancient ones, we are going to have his relic here at St. Anthony of Padua Catholic Church in the Our Lady of the Angels Chapel. And I hope that you and I can have the same type of confrontation with Christ that he had. What do I mean by that? That you don't hide behind being polite and hide your questions, hide even maybe your doubts when it comes to our faith, because God can handle your questions. Well, what about this? But what about that? But what about this? God can handle it, right? The questioning mind is a sign of a mind that's awake. It's okay that you have questions about Christianity. 
the best saints have questioned, doubted, even hated Christianity until they became one. So I would invite you to not hold back. God didn't give you a brain so you'd check it at the door. To unleash the power of your reasoning and give glory to God in struggling with whatever issue you might have with the church. But strive to understand the heart of the gospel that lies at the message of whether the church is talking about morality or politics, right? War, all of these issues that are kind of bubbling up to the surface as we speak. Or maybe it's something like the doctrine of the Eucharist or the Trinity or Jesus's virgin birth, whatever it might be. Know this. As blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman said, a thousand questions does not a single doubt make. I want you to follow in the footsteps of Doubting Thomas because when you ask the honest questions, I believe you'll arrive at the same answer, confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and your God. All right, guys, this is it. We just finished with an apostle that is amazing. The next one, here you go, is going to top that. I, I'm not going to tell you who. I'm not going to tell you who, but it's going to top it. We, I mean, how do you top an apostle? I'll tell you how. No, I won't. Next week, I'll tell you how. And then after that, dum, 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 we got, we're going to top even the next week toppers. That's right. We are going to top the toppers, and it's going to be incredible. And it's going to be released the very last one on Holy Week, which I could not be more excited about. Okay, brothers and sisters, the pathway, the pilgrimage to Our Lady of the Angels Chapel is here. This is going to be amazing. And thank you for being on this journey with us.